Hi everyone, welcome to Connect More. My name is Sarah Heisey Grabeel. I am a life coach, writer, and researcher, and the host of this podcast where we talk about connection, why we need it, why the systems we live under make it very hard for us to get it, and how to build it anyway, because it's just that important. Particular focuses here are race, class, and gender, and how white supremacy, capitalism, and the patriarchy factor into our social lives, our family building, and our parenting. Stay tuned at the end for information on how to be in touch with me, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. You know, I got a really great listener question yesterday um, that I wanted to address on the Q&A for this week, but I think I actually want to sit on it for another week. Um, I'm just like still really pondering it. So I'm going to bring that Q&A to you next week. But I thought for our intro today, I could talk a little bit about an offering that I have coming up that I'm enrolling in the month of August, and that is fall writing workshops. These are workshops that are taught 100% online on a Zoom class. Um, I have like, I'm going to record them all on Zoom. So there will be replays available for any week that, you know, people have to miss. Um, But I'm very excited about this because I've taught a ton of writing classes, both in person and online. But I've never taught an online writing class that was just 100% directed by me like it wasn't connected to a university um it wasn't linked to an organization i didn't really have any requirements outside of like just exactly what i want to do so i am truly just very excited to uh to be able to bring this to you um the first class is called supercharge your creativity and that is a class for you if you are um, someone who enjoys writing but maybe doesn't always have an exact idea of what you want to write when you sit down. You would love to just sit down with like five ideas that you're crazy about, but sometimes it's like, what? how do I even start? Who should my characters be? It's kind of like that initial like creative spark that you could use some momentum behind. Um, so I'm going to read this from my website description of this class, but it says, got one story idea. How would it feel to have eight? Been rewriting and rewriting the same poem. Try getting some like thousands of new words on the page to banish perfectionism and power you through that final revision. And in case it is not clear, this workshop is going to be fun. There are going to be like hysterical prompts, just zany exercises. We might do some improv, like the sky is the limit for this class. So it's going to be super fun. And I welcome you to attend. Um, if you go to my website, which is linked in the show notes, you can get all the details and register. Um, my second offering for this fall is called Lunch Break Journaling for Moms. This is for moms and or caretakers. If you're a caretaker, you are very eligible for this workshop. But I really wanted to offer mothers and caretakers a space where um, you get to focus in on yourself. And sometimes focusing in on yourself still really involves thinking about your kids. Like you might feel like I want a space where I can just record some of the things that are happening in daily life so that I don't forget them. Like funny things my kids said, recent accomplishments that they've had, whatever it is, that's perfectly valid. Others might feel like I want a space where I can write about me and think about me and I actually don't have to think about my family. That's totally valid as well. But the focus here is going to be on the writing as well as the like being together in a group of supportive people 
And also this third piece, which is like helping you build a journaling practice that works for you so that once um, class time is over, you can take that practice with you. You don't have to just like set it aside after our 10 weeks together. So again, you can find more details about this on my website, but I really, really, really encourage you to sign up. It's going to be so fun. I'm coming into it with a ton of enthusiasm um, and it's been a long time coming. So that is going to enroll um, throughout this month of August. And I'm also taking new clients right now in my connection coaching and in my writing coaching. So if you are working on, for example, a writing project where you really want to work uh, one-on-one, this would be a great opportunity for you. I support writers in you know, finishing their first novel manuscript, just like powering through the pages and finding a way to do that that really works for you, as well as people who are just starting to write and are like working on, you know, like, what is this? Is this an essay? Is this a poem? What are what am I doing? Right. Um, as well as people who are really deep in short story world and um, really looking for revisions and edits and kind of taking those short stories up to a point where they could be submitted for publication. So I work with people kind of at all these different stages, um, as well as people who are looking for connection coaching, which I talk a lot about on this podcast and on my Instagram. So I won't go into that here. All that to say, August is a busy month of enrollment for me. So if you do want to work with me in this calendar year, August is a really great time to sign up to do that. So this episode deals with a particular kind of personal stake that is incredibly useful in showing up for racial and economic justice as an adult. And it's a stake I know a lot of my listeners are interested in because lots of you are young to middle-aged adults. Many of you are parents of young kids. Here's the good news and the bad news. The personal stake I'm talking about today has an expiration date on it. It's something that you can offer your kids as an enormous gift now while they're young. And it's one that is really limited in some ways to a kid's formative years. If your kid does not get the benefit of this deeply ingrained personal stake when they're young, it does not mean they will not grow up to be fierce racial justice advocates, climate change warriors, peacemakers, social change leaders, etc. It does not mean any of that. It just means they will have lost the opportunity to develop a particular kind of emotion-driven personal stake that you really can't get back if you don't get it in childhood. So the personal stake I'm talking about is the one that comes from having close relationships across difference as a child. These might be friendships with kids of color, you know, the loving devotion of aunties, godmothers, mentors, um, deep bonds with teachers from different racial or ethnic backgrounds, or to move into the realm of economic justice, close bonds with people on entirely different levels of the wealth spectrum. I'm not talking about like, you know, an uncle who makes $5,000 less than their dad. I'm talking about real relationships with and love for friends who might need to borrow your car to get food from the grocery store, um, who may have experienced homelessness, who may call late at night asking for a loan. When your kids grow up understanding that love and support and friendship and community can happen across race and class divides of this nature, they're going to be able to do two things. All right, number one, they're going to be able to go into the world primed to understand it. So to look at greater society and make sense of the ways in which injustice plays out on a large scale because they've already seen it and have already had in-depth conversations about it in their family's own household. Number two, they're going to be able to stand up for what they know to be true even in the face of 
overwhelming stereotypes or generalizations to the contrary. And they're not going to stand up for what they know to be true because that's the moral or the ethical thing to do. They're going to do it because they're going to identify a false claim when they hear it. And they're going to do what all humans do when, when we hear a false claim. Explain with evidence why the other person is wrong and why we're right. All right, so let's get a little more in depth here. And before I do, I want to say I think this episode can be a little triggering because parents, and let me just say it, especially moms, are in a daily and relentless way beat over the head with all the things we need to do in order to turn out a good kid. So I really want to strike a balancing act here. The last thing I want to do is tell you one more thing you have to do in order to be a good mom or make you worry that if this isn't where you've prioritized your time up until now, that you've made like some horrible mistake or you're a bad parent, you haven't, you're not, please don't let mom guilt creep into this space for you, please. I've been there. It's awful. I don't wish it on anyone. And then on the other end of the balancing act is that, of course, I'm a diversity coach. I work with you know, lots of parents of young children because I do believe that it is extremely powerful for kids to see their parents operating comfortably across divides of race and class. And that it is really important for kids to build friendships and connections that can open their minds up to the reality of diversity in a way that is really hard to do just through resources and conversations. So just like put all that together, hopefully we'll land somewhere in the middle. You're not a bad mom. You're an incredible mom or dad. My goal for this podcast is to inspire you and to encourage you. It's never to shame or blame you. If you feel that beginning to happen, take a break from it. Come back in a moment when you feel like you just would like to learn a new thing or two, but not like you're frantically trying to check off the boxes of your kid's childhood, okay? All right. So here's how the childhood personal stake thing works. When kids grow up in close proximity to kids who either look different from them racially, ethnically, or kids who just quite obviously lead a different kind of life, then they have an opportunity to develop a meaningful bond across difference. And these bonds prime them to develop an awareness of the different realities of people's lives that is going to prompt them to seek out more complicated truths in the future, even as they're presented with simplistic explanations in like, I don't know, a social studies class along the way. So think, for example, about a time when somebody like, you know, an acquaintance, someone maybe you met recently, said something that was unintentionally ignorant or that just generalized things in an unfair way. And you knew it was ignorant because of extremely personal experience that nobody could tell you was not true. Okay? I'm going to give you two personal examples of this. The first is, they're both kind of murky in their own ways. The first is actually a time when I was the ignorant, uninformed person. I was at a bar a few years ago. I was talking to a group of people and somebody mentioned some really impressive statistic about graduates of the University of Chicago and what they go on to do. I don't really remember. What I remember is feeling, you know, mildly turned off by like the vibe of elitism or whatever. And I wanted to, to counteract that. So I said, yeah, I mean, also it's like a pressure cooker environment. It has the highest rate of student, student suicides of anywhere in the country. And immediately someone else in the group turned to me and said, what? Like, that's not true at all. I went to the University of Chicago. That hasn't been true for at least a decade. At which point, like, I stopped and thought back to when I had actually heard that statistic, which I had never fact-checked and, like, didn't even know who I'd heard it from. And I realized I think I probably had heard it, like, exactly 10 years ago when I was in undergrad and people were comparing schools. So I said to this person, you're right. I heard that 10 years ago. Sorry. 
Um, the point of the story is that the person who heard my false claim knew instantly it was a false claim. She knew it in a way where she did not have to look it up. She did not have to sit and think about it. She knew that I was wrong and that she was right. And so she put me in my place. And I will never repeat that statistic again. Okay? Here's another example. To be honest, this is, it's a little uncomfortable as an example. Um, but, you know, I'm sharing it anyway because this podcast deals with nothing if not uncomfortable topics. Um, and for me, it's necessary to delve into complexity when it's relevant, even if it, may rub some people the wrong way. So in listening to a lot of, you know, black social commentators and following black thinkers on places like Instagram, I sometimes run into the argument that the adoption of black kids by non-black families is always wrong and it's always a perpetration of state violence. I want to be really clear. I think these arguments should not be dismissed. I think they're very important. I think they raise critical issues about race and the criminalization of poverty in America, among other things. Um, just to say a little more about that, you know, I think there are so many cases of kids of color going into foster care due to quote unquote neglect, which really could be substituted with the words crushing poverty, whose parents are not able to prove to the government that they can adequately care for them over a certain amount of time. And then these kids get put up for adoption. I think that is horrific. I think no child should be taken from parents who love them and are committed to caring for them in every way they can whose only roadblock is a lack of structural support that could help them become financially solvent. Okay, I hope that's very clear. At the same time, that's not the only time or the only reason why kids get adopted. So my niece and nephew are black and they were adopted by my big brother who's white, my sister-in-law who is um, Japanese and white. And through diligent work on the part of my siblings, my niece and nephew grew up in an environment that was incredibly diverse that was affirming of their racial heritage, that was empowering to them, um, and that placed their needs and desires front and center. My nephew is now a 21-year-old professional tap dancer. My niece is an incredible dancer, writer, and theater artist who is um, currently pursuing a culinary arts degree. So when I hear a generalization about black kids adopted by white families to then be evangelized in a Kansas cornfield and brought up by parents who never you know, bothered to learn how to do their hair the right way, I know that that happens, and I also know it's a generalization. I know this from firsthand experience, okay? So those are two examples from my personal life to shed light on two things. Number one, the ways in which we form intuitive knowledge from firsthand personal experiences. And number two, the ways in which intuitive knowledge can really be used to inform and to set the record straight when it's challenged in situations where generalizations are running rampant, okay? So if, for example, your kids have friends of color who they spend their entire childhoods going on nature hikes with, and then your kids go to high school or college and hear somebody say, um, black people don't like nature, your children are going to know that that statement is, you know, a generalization, to say the least, that if being spoken by a white person, it's a racist statement, it's false, okay? They won't just know that because their parents have talked to them about how white people shouldn't, you know, make statements about people of color, which is to say they're not just going to know that on an intellectual level, they will know that on a personal and near spiritual level. And because that statement is going to hit them in their gut, they are likely to speak up. They are likely to say that's not true and that's a stupid assumption. And the person who probably made the comment casually without even thinking about it 
will not make the, the same comment again. I'm going to say nine times out of 10. I don't have data for that. I'm going to say nine times out of 10. Even if they act defensive in the moment, they probably are going to make a mental note not to say that again because they know that they can and will get called on it and that they're probably wrong, okay? So all of these examples are meant to highlight the really powerful impact that young people can make when they've been raised in communities that span significant difference. And this is not to say that every kid who's exposed to this kind of diversity young is always going to speak up or is going to become a social justice warrior or whatever. We can't know any of that. What I'm saying is that by offering this kind of childhood to your kid, you give them an opportunity that most middle to upper class white kids in America don't get. And that is an opportunity to come to know a larger slice of the world from earlier on in a way that will tend to make them or that will give them a good shot at becoming more empathetic, more generous, more wise, and more predisposed to fight on behalf of what they know is right. So if I've halfway sold you on this, some of you are probably sitting there thinking, okay, like this sounds nice. How do I pull it off? Most of my friends are white. Most of our neighbors are white. We live in a middle to upper class neighborhood. Our school has similar demographics. We don't even live within a short drive of a more diverse area. I don't want to just cold call random people and ask them to be my friend or ask their kids to be my kid's friend. Like, how do I actually do this in a way that isn't super weird? All right. If this is you, I recommend all the resources on my Instagram page, as well as the other episodes on this podcast, which will speak to a lot of these questions. But I also recommend diversity coaching because that is an opportunity to really work one-on-one. -on -one. So to bring the particulars of your life into full focus and look at what are the structural factors that are holding you back? What are the more internal factors that are holding you back? And how can we navigate those internal factors in order to open up to more possibilities in terms of actually expanding you and your family's circle? This is what I do. I love it. I love to watch people and families make really big and exciting changes on behalf of themselves and their kids. If you want to learn more about diversity coaching, you can follow the link in the show notes or on my Instagram bio to book a free call with me. And in that call, we're going to dive into your background, what your challenges are right now, and dream up the best way forward. If it seems like a good fit, we can then start a coaching relationship, okay? You can also just send me a DM on Instagram to get that conversation started. I would love to hear from you in whatever form, whatever capacity, and I will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Connect More. If you'd like to see more of my work, please check me out on Instagram. The link is included in the show notes. I offer one-on-one -on -one life coaching and also I have a number of workshops and other opportunities coming up. And feel free to just reach out, send me a DM, introduce yourself. I'd love to talk to you. The artwork for this podcast was designed by me. The music for this podcast was produced by Rafiq Davis of Philadelphia. Take care and talk to you soon.